Hi, we are the Good Ship Illustration and we run online courses to help illustrators and image makers navigate a creative career. We are Tanya, Katie and Helen. We have about 70 years experience between us, each of us working in a different area of illustration. This series is a special picture book series of podcast question and answer sessions. Um, right now the doors to the picture book course are open, so you can just Google the Good Ship Picture Book course and we should show up. Um, but we'll pop a link in the description as well. We've got a special Q&A on Wednesday on Instagram live, haven't we? Yes. Seven o'clock Wednesday, turn up, ask all your questions there about the course or picture books, whatever. Yeah. And if you want to make sure you get all the email reminders and stuff, just make sure you're getting our emails, which you can do on our website, thegoodshipillustration.com. Um, yeah, we'll see you there. So we've got a question here from an illustrator of picture books and she says, is it actually possible to make a total living out of picture books? I've been creating books for 11 years and I'm lucky enough to have contracts with both large and small publishers, but to help financially support me, I have quite an intense part-time job two days a week. So I'm constantly struggling between the two and family, etc. How do you make the leap to being a full-time children's author, illustrator or illustrating full-time? Oh, this is such a good question, isn't it? Because mm. I think we've all been through that stage where you've got, you know, you're starting out as an illustrator, but you're still supporting yourself in another way. I, I think the answer is, well, it's so, it's different for everybody, isn't it? But I think a good idea is just, is to have a few streams of income at first for those first few years. So you could, you could have an online shop or you could write on Substack, which I'm obsessed about at the moment. I just love it. It's brilliant for illustrators. Um, you could be a regu- regular contributor to a children's magazine. When I started out, I did a monthly article for Bayard Press. Um, or you could do school visits and all of these things, bring in extra streams of income, which is really handy. And then it means you can say no to certain jobs. So picture book publishers pay such hugely varied amounts of money. Some of them pay, you know, literally a quarter of what another one will pay. And British publishers play less than American publishers because American publishers have got such a big audience. Um, and British publishers need to rely on co-edition. So um, if you've got another stream of income, it gives you that control over who you're going to work for. So if somebody comes to you with a really low offer, you can go back and ask for more money without worrying that they're just going to walk away. You can walk away from those jobs. So it, another stream of income gives you that kind of control to decide who you're going to work for. I think it's really hard to just decide you're going to make more picture books though because they're a massive labor of love and they're not easy and it takes a long time. So I think something like Substack or school visits that are just, you know, they're quite instant. um, They're a much easier way of supporting yourself and it's still creative and you meet other creatives and it's fun. Yeah. And that thing you mentioned about the shop, having your own shop, I know I was talking to you about that Mr. Bingo thing and he had like a little diagram and it was making work for making work to help big companies sell more stuff or making your own work and it was like the happiness level was so much higher it's, it's different because it's picture books obviously you love making picture books anyway but ultimately you're helping publishers sell books whereas if you're making your own stuff to sell in a shop you've got more control over it and you can set your own pricing and all that kind of thing so it's yeah the multiple streams of income thing for all kinds of illustration i feel like it's sort of essential isn't it i, I think it feeds both ways as well so if you if you say have an online shop and you want people to go to your online shop and you build up a bit of an audience on Instagram or Substack or something and you're pointing people at your shop, you're also pointing publishers at your shop and you're 
publishers are coming to your Instagram account and they see that your shop is successful or it's got pretty things in it. And so you'll get more offers from publishers. So then you've got more control over um, demanding what you need to be paid or choosing which publisher is going to be the right publisher. So it, it all feeds in to make like a happy, bigger picture of your work life. There's also that aspect of um, children's book illustration and that style of work and that content is so popular. I mean, the American illustrators do it. They license their work in either print or pattern or they do art prints for nurseries. But also advertisers um, really need children's book illustration to advertise children's products. So you see a lot of successful children's book illustrators are straddling two or three markets. Like They might do the packaging for children's cereals or you know particularly foods as well you know that's not done by regular illustrators because I think it's specific to a children's book language so there's potentially loads more work for children book children's picture book illustrators if you look into the area of packaging design surface print homewares so uh yeah, maybe a licensing agent would be good as well that would be another stream of income yeah it's almost like widening your idea of what is like a success isn't it because it doesn't just because you want to be a picture book illustrator doesn't mean you only do picture books you can widen it and if you're drawing pictures and having a good time and being paid it still it all counts yeah yeah i mean look at things like the kind of the interest in uh folktale week on instagram mm. the, the work that comes out of folktale week could be used on stationery product there's you know there's so many kind of fairies and wolves and trolls and mushrooms and those things are I know they're quite trend-based, but that means there is the potential to use those on on notebooks, on fabrics, on art prints. I think look wider than just publishers and see who's you know which kind of agencies are working with um, products that appeal to parents. Yeah, I know in the, in our Zoom calls inside the course. We've had people talk about the rock star thing, and they're like, "Is being a children's book illustrator like being a rock star? Like, is there like five ones that are getting paid loads, and everyone else is like?" I think it's every industry, isn't it? They say like the top 1% earn 90-something percent of the income. Do you think yeah. that's the same for picture books? Oh, it's definitely the same for picture books. Like people right at the top of their game are being paid a lot more than people starting out. And, and the reason they get paid more is that the publisher know that they're going to bring them lots of royalties mm-hmm. in. So your payment is an advance on your royalties. So they, they pay you, say you get £10,000. Um, that's an advance. So they need to know that you're going to sell £10,000 worth of books to pay off that advance and then you get royalties after that, if that makes sense. The picture book makers that are being paid a huge amount of money, that's because they've got a history of really good sales and so the publisher know they can take that risk. So, yeah. So um, basically, publishers are gamblers and if you're, a, yes. if you're a dead cert, you get big bucks and if yeah. you're a new risky one, they're like... Oh. Yeah, and it really, really helps once you've got one good seller under your belt because you're, you're going to get your royalties every six months. And publishers are going to know that they can pay you a bit more. So, yeah, yeah you need a good seller. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it's so yeah, good to it know helps. that, though, isn't it? When you get yeah. into it and not be disheartened and know that there are other things you can do to keep things going while you get your best seller. Yeah, maybe. yeah, exactly. How would you go about getting an American publisher, if they pay more, yeah. how, say, as an English or a British picture bookmaker, how would you get a. Well, I've never done it because, you know, I started in the 90s. Nobody ever suggested to me that I get an American publisher. It's only in recent years that I've started to think, oh, well, maybe I could. But 
I'm so happy with my British publishers. We're such good friends and they're here and I can mm. see them face to face. It just feels easy and nice. So I've not done it. But I imagine it's the same as approaching a British publisher. I imagine send them samples. I mean, most of my meetings are on Zoom now anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think it'll make any difference. I don't think they'll mind where you live. Um, there are also agents in the UK who will represent you in America. So that's a possibility. Yes, like when we went to Bologna, mm. you can see where your work fits as well. And it might be that European work doesn't fit with the American market and vice versa. So it's worth kind of investigating what American publishers put out there to see if you'd be a fit. I mean, some British public, British illustrators might be a better fit for that market. Yeah, there are definitely illustrators I know who have uh, had a British publisher and then the British publisher has sold a co-edition to an American publisher and then that illustrator has just gone straight to the American publisher with the next book. That's cool. Oh, So that's another. Yeah. I'm looking for an agent. Do I send them my portfolio or should I send them my book dummy? I, I, I would send them whatever you're most proud of. Like don't hide your best thing at home. If you're book dummy, if you're really proud of your dummy, send it to the agent. You don't want to hide your best stuff at home. They want to see some really good images. Send them your favorite stuff. Um, draw all over your envelope so they want to open it. Make sure you've got a link to your website in there so they can go and have a closer look, your Instagram account. But yeah, don't be shy. Just send them send them everything. Send them whatever, you you know, your favorite things. Share your brownies. Yeah, share your brownies, exactly. <laughs> it would make sense, wouldn't it? You think if your book is the thing you're most proud of, that's what that's your first shot. Second shot is if you didn't like my book, here's my full range of work. What do you think? Can you make sense of me? Have I got a book in me? Yeah. I mean, they might look at the the dummy book you send and think, well, it, it's not quite there, but I've looked at the folio and I love it. So I'll give them a call, you know? Yeah. Or they Why might not? look at your Instagram and see bits of your sketchbook and be like, hang on a minute. Look at these <laughs> sketchy characters that are undeveloped and this person's got lots of potential. We can pack them into shape. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't save it for best. <laughs> like holding back your good stuff for later. Yeah. I think people sometimes worry that if, if they send their stuff, somebody might nick it, oh. don't they? But the thing is, if you if you have that mindset, then you're never going to show anybody your stuff. You've got to take that risk. And I've never heard... I mean, if your work is really individual, if you're flying your freak flag, like we always talk about, why would they look at your amazing idea and think, brilliant, we'll get somebody else to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. just not heard of it happening. And and if you don't take that risk, then your brilliant idea is just going to stay under the cushion on your sofa yeah, forever, anyone, isn't it? No one's ever going to see your work, are they? Yeah. There is a lot of fear of that. People, do you remember we've had questions about Instagram? I'm a bit scared to put my work on Instagram in case people copy it. Should I put a watermark over it? Yeah. There's nothing worse when you're on Instagram with your giant watermark. It's yeah. like, why have you done that? <laughs> Can't see your work now. Well, what we, the thing... We always talk about with the good ship and the reason we made our freak flag course well, and within the picture book course as well is to teach people to be 100% themselves because when you're completely yourself in your work, even if somebody loves it and they copy it for a little while, they love it and so they're going to have a go at it. They can't authentically be you for very long. They can only draw what they saw you draw on Instagram. So it's a no, it's a no go for them, you know. Um, yeah. If your work is really individual and it really expresses you, you've got nothing to worry about. No. Yeah, and that's both in content and and the approach and the visual language of your work. Because anyone copying it's just going to be like a kind of cover band. It gets drained of all life after a while and it shows in the work. So differentiate yourself um, and no one's really going to want to come after you because they can't truly be you. 
That's the thing as well. Like when you share really generously, in my experience, it's never, ever gone badly. Like if you feel like you're sharing loads, you're like, oh, it always comes back. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. Like just you're sharing all your good stuff. Yeah. You're being yourself. People are just like, yeah. And if they don't like you, they bugger off. So then you're just with, left with the nice people <laughs> that get you. Yeah, yeah. You mustn't focus on the people who bugger off basically. Yeah. Because they can. They're not your people. Just let them. That's fine. The people who really like it, we, you know, you'll gather more of them. Yeah. And all the publisher rejections that you get, they're just getting you closer to the good ones that are going to be like, not maybe not no, but not yet or or yes. Even. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you send your stuff to a publisher and you don't hear back, don't be disheartened because lots of publishers have a huge pile of envelopes to open and they might only get to that pile of envelopes once every three months or six months or maybe even never. So if you don't hear back from them, it's not because your work was no good. It's because they're just so busy and they might find you through Instagram. So send out your samples, but be really active on Instagram or Substack or wherever you like to show your work. Um, you know, they might just find you another way. Yeah. What's that other one? Um, assume, always assume positive intent. So yeah, like imagine your publisher with this giant stack of envelopes. They're definitely not sitting there being like, oh, look at this horrible work. I'm not going to reply. It's probably <laughs> that they just haven't seen it. Or if they have seen it, they're swamped with loads of other things. So that's like a tip for life, actually. Assume positive intent. Yeah. I love that. I've never heard that before, but it's got to be the best way to go. Yeah. Just really? assume, oh, they just forgot. It's fine. Like, they don't hate me. <laughs> well, I had a chat with Camilla Reed, who who used to be, who used to work at Nosy Crow, and she said that the amount of samples they get sent in, they're lucky if they can look through them every six months. And they're so busy working with the illustrators that they already have, or they're looking uh, looking around for people that they think might fit a particular book, that that pile of samples... It, it can sit there a really long time, but they're not judging it. They're not saying it's really bad. It's just they very rarely get the time to get to it. Yeah. Mm. That's got to be reassuring. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad in one <laughs> way because your envelope's not being opened, but they're definitely not saying no. No. And it's mm. worth keeping on doing stuff. Mm. It's, it's probably cool. worth sending perpetually, isn't it? If you've got a stack of postcards or something like that and you print two or three different images a year and you put those out in a continual cycle... It takes your brain off obsessing why a publisher hasn't replied to you because you actually lose track of how many you've sent. Yeah. Then everything's just a surprise, really. It's like entering too many lotteries. Yeah. You oh, don't what? bother waiting for an answer. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I used to do. I used to just get postcards made really regularly and send them out in huge amounts and, and then forget about them and leave it a few weeks and then do it again. Yes. And then you don't care whether you hear back or not. And there's always some kind of contact over the, you know, you always get something back. Yeah. Mm. And if the postcards are there and ready, you don't get that whole like, oh God, I've got to deal with my marketing and writing letters. It's just bung it in an envelope. Mm. Do Helen's, as Helen advised, make your envelope the most beautiful envelope in the world. Um, and if you did that every month or so, you're not getting too invested and too obsessed about not hearing back. And every, you know, everything's in play at that point. Something's bound to come of it. Mm. We're cheering you on anyway. <laughs> Uh, that's been a really good set of questions um so bye for now yeah bye for now we'll see you tomorrow we've got another one dropping tomorrow yeah. uh, art club on wednesday and art club on friday on instagram and we'll see you inside the picture book course if you fancy joining and if you're already in there you can join this live round as well be lovely to see you there yeah you've got lifetime access <laughs> yeah. bye okay bye for now <laughs>